Hi, podcast listeners. Before we dive into the show, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, The Wallflower Box. The Wallflower Box is a self-care box designed specifically for introverts. It shows up on your doorstep once a month and you receive seven to nine high quality self-care items, including an introvert-related book or a luxe journal, along with a mix of wellness-inspired items to help you live a happier and healthier quiet life. Sign up for The Wallflower Box at thewallflowerbox.com forward slash podcast and use the code LOVEFALL for 15% off plus an extra gift in your first box. Again, that's thewallflowerbox.com slash podcast. When you use this link, you help support our show. Welcome to the Introvert Dear Podcast, the show devoted to helping introverts live more peaceful, meaningful lives. We are here to remind you that you don't have to be an extrovert to be happy. Now, here are your hosts, Jen Graneman and Bo Miller. Fellow introverts, are you like me? Do you have a love-hate relationship with travel? Meaning you love exploring new places and experiencing new cultures, but you hate the anxiety and exhaustion that seem inevitable? Today, we're talking with Melissa Renzi, who leads retreats to Mexico and Guatemala for introverts and highly sensitive people. We're going to explore why many introverts are drawn to travel and how they can do it with less drain. Melissa is a licensed social worker and trauma-informed yoga teacher based in Chicago. She uses her social work and yoga skills to help introverts and highly sensitive people transform deep-seated anxiety and cultivate more self-compassion. Having lived in Guatemala, Ecuador, Mexico, and India, Melissa uses her extensive travel experience to to organize global retreats specifically designed for introverts and HSPs that focus on renewing self-care and deepening our connection to self, to others, and to the natural world, all while honoring the unique needs of sensitive introverts. Melissa, welcome to the show and welcome back from Mexico. Thank you so much, Jen. I'm happy to be here with you guys today. So Melissa, how did you find out that you are an introvert and how did that knowledge change your life? I recall taking the Myers-Briggs test sometime in my early 20s, and I think it was around then that it first came to my attention that I was introverted, but what I mostly uh, connected with at that time was the idea of getting my energy from being alone and feeling drained by being with people, but mostly that idea of like, okay, I like to be alone. That made sense for me, Um, but By that time in my life, I feel like I had cultivated somewhat of an extroverted side to my personality. I was a social worker. Um, Even though, you know, I look back at my childhood and I can see my introversion more along with my sensitivity. But um, I also grew up in a very extroverted Italian family on my dad's side. And so I feel like in many ways, in order to survive and have my voice heard, I learned to be more outgoing and social, kind of like more out and able to go with that flow. Um, And so I feel like one of the things that I never really understood was why I felt so much more drained, or it seemed like I felt so much more drained and uh, and exhausted by socializing than a lot of my friends and family. And people around me oftentimes didn't get that either. Um, So I had this ex-boyfriend a few years ago, well, he was a boyfriend at that time, um, who was extremely extroverted. And with him, I oftentimes felt overstimulated and I felt ashamed a lot of the time for not wanting to go out or spend all day, every day running around. Um, and he had a difficult time understanding why 
I could be outgoing and energetic for a night and then be completely wiped out for a week and not want anything to do with other people. And it was really through that time, through that relationship, during that time and after that I started to tune more into my own sensitivity and introversion and what it is that I need in uh, my own self-care practice, what it is that I need in relationships with uh, friends, partners. And when I began dating my current partner a few years ago, who's more introverted than I am, um, everything started to make more sense because I all of a sudden saw my needs and my fears and strengths reflected in him and began developing more acceptance and understanding for myself through that process. I think it all of a sudden made sense that like, oh, I'm not alone and there are other people like me um, that that have these reservations about certain social settings or really need a lot of time to recharge after. I totally get that, Melissa. I spent a lot of my life comparing myself to other people, especially friends or even significant others who are a lot more extroverted than I was. And I just never seemed to measure up. Like they could always just keep going and I couldn't. And so I always felt like something was wrong with me. And um, that's interesting that you said that dating an introverted partner kind of changed that for you. Um, it's, it's kind of funny, like introverts can be, ha, can have different levels, even if you're an introvert too. I'm a uh, dating someone who's also an introvert, but he has a little bit more stamina than I do. So it's funny how that happens. Was anything else helpful? Like as you started to learn more about your introverted side, was it mainly being around uh, your partner or what, do you think there were any other like resources that kind of helped you accept your personality and who you were? Part of it was also I identify as highly sensitive as well. So I think those two things together, I often, I mean, previously saw as weaknesses and I started to really realize where those aspects of my personality were showing up in a really positive way. And just my ability to to self-reflect, my ability to be comfortable alone, like all of those sorts of things related to introversion, I started recognizing how that shows up and also how it's it makes me part of who I am and how I'm able to show up for others when I honor those things, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's really great. So did you find out about um, HSPs through Elaine Aaron's book or from another source? Well, definitely from Elaine Aaron. I actually must say that I only read her book or the, the main book, um, The Highly Sensitive Person, more recently, but I had been you know, following her online and reading journal articles and all of that. But um, I think, I don't remember if, if she's the one where that first came to my attention or, I mean, I think it was also through introversion, like learning about my introversion that I was first like brought into the whole, uh, the whole uh, idea of sensitivity and realizing mm. that I was highly sensitive. I wasn't really familiar with that term so much before that. I'm just going to add a shameless self-plug here because I just started a new website just for highly sensitive people called highlysensitiverefuge.com. So if you identify as being highly sensitive, please do check that out. Introverts and HSPs share a lot of similar characteristics, but you can actually be an HSP and be extroverted too. I don't see it as a shameless plug. I see it as you sharing a great resource. So thanks for pointing that out. It is a great resource. I've been following your new blog and some of my followers and retreat guests that recently came with me to Mexico were commenting about 
post that I of yours that I shared on Facebook, and they've also really found it to be a helpful resource. Oh, that's awesome. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. So I just thought we could jump into travel. So Melissa, why do introverts enjoy travel? Is there something about being an introvert that makes us drawn to it or that we enjoy it? I mean, I know extroverts can enjoy it too, but um, I feel like there are a lot of introverts out there who just really, really find satisfaction in doing it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I think obviously every introvert is different in terms of like the reasons why we travel and what we're drawn to. But I think that um, so many of us do find peace and that uh, just kind of calmness when we're in nature. I think a lot of us oftentimes want to get out and explore the natural world um, because of that sense of peace and the solitude and maybe the sense of awe that it provides. Um, And I think for me, that's certainly a huge part of why I love traveling, because as an introvert, like things like hiking a mountain can make me feel alive and give me that same aliveness, even when I'm completely alone. I like, so those are the places that I tend to thrive. And I feel like that's common for, for a lot of others. Um, the other thing is, despite like all of the, the, you know, <laughs> the misleading, not misleading, but like not all introverts hate people, right? Like there are lots yes. of memes <laughs> on social media that indicate that. But I think a lot of us really do enjoy connecting with people when we get to do it in a genuine and meaningful way. Um, and so sometimes that means learning about other cultures um, or meeting other travelers, which I find oftentimes have some shared values there. Um, and I think, you know, it goes beyond just like learning about other cultures. I think it's, we have these opportunities um, that are really meaningful again. Like, so when we have these moments of like a kind exchange with the local people of another country, it puts us into this place of a little bit more shared humanity. Um, when we oftentimes might feel isolated or different from those around us in our daily life. Oh, I really like that perspective. That's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> and I think the other thing is too, it gives us that time for self-reflection, you know, and especially when, we have this rich fabric of our minds and we can be very imaginative, um, but oftentimes we get stuck ruminating and overthinking, overanalyzing as introverts. And I find that just stepping away for a moment gives me that time to give some distance to some of those things. It doesn't mean that we completely turn off that overthinking mind, but it gives some distance to draw our awareness into the present moment and really take care of ourselves. And really the last thing that I would just go ahead. Yeah, I'll go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, I find it really interesting that travel can be a method of self-reflection because a lot of times I think about travel, maybe I'm doing it wrong, but travel <laughs> is a lot of like, we go there, we got to see this, this, and this, uh, we're rushing here, we're, we're going there. And yeah, I, I, could you unpack that a bit? Like how can travel be more of a self-reflective uh, experience for introverts mm. because I feel like this is something I personally need to learn. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for mentioning that. Um, I too have definitely had some of those kinds of travel experiences. Um, but I think it all, a lot of it depends on, you know, what we're seeking out at a time or, you know, what it is, like how we've crafted those experiences. So For example, like with my solo travel, oftentimes I might be going and doing things, but I oftentimes plan a lot of downtime 
or I'll go, I did the Camino de Santiago in Spain last year and I hiked by myself <laughs> for wow. a couple of weeks. Well, actually a little less because I had knee problems, but so I was hiking, you know, I still ran into people and had that opportunity to connect along the way, but it was more of an opportunity to just to come into the moment, notice some of my mental tendencies and, um, and, and also just step into my own uh, capacity, which is what I was going to mention also is I think that travel, um, even though, you know, so you're mentioning that like, Sometimes you found your yourself in this place of like, go, 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 go. And that can be overwhelming. We don't necessarily want to create that experience. But like travel, no matter what, usually takes us into some sort of feeling of uncertainty and discomfort. And I think while that can produce anxiety in many ways, I find that um, my travels personally have been one of the key experiences that have helped me to see what I'm capable of um, that I really never thought imaginable. And I think that includes like just showing up in whatever it is in life, despite my anxiety that I experience. So let's get into the nerve wracking parts about travel for introverts in just a minute. <laughs> How can you mentioned solo travel? How can that be really good for introverts? Solo travel for me, when I took my first solo trip, um, I was in my mid twenties. I went to Guatemala to study Spanish, and I think. Um, it offered me that opportunity to like make exactly what I wanted of my trip um, where like all of the decision-making, which can be overwhelming too for introverts, but like yeah. I had that option to like to be with people or not, or to change my plan or keep it the way I wanted, you know, or like go off for a weekend on my own to a different village or something. I, I loved the flexibility and freedom of solo travel um, but at the same time, I think traveling solo, and if, I mean, you might uh, kind of identify with this, I find that it's easier to meet people if you want to meet people when you're traveling alone than it is like if you're traveling with a partner or with friends. Um, oftentimes, it just somehow lends itself. I'm not always the one that's like reaching out to other people, but people typically reach out to me, which can be a you know, that can be positive or negative, depending on like what you're looking for. But I think, again, it comes back to like that option. You can have a conversation with someone doesn't mean you have to hang out with them and travel for the next week together. I think that suits introverts really well to just have a, you know, you can spend a short amount of time with someone you met on your travel, but you don't have to spend all day or all week or your entire trip with them. Just thinking about the nerve wracking parts of travel. I know the being there part, but what about like, the preparation phase and the return phase, because I know just and taking care of all the to do's that lead up to it and then worrying about maybe getting back into the flow of what you're working on when you come back. Have you found anything helpful for dealing with those stresses? Because those are part of the, the package, too, I think. The actual trip planning gets overwhelming and, you know, there's sometimes too many choices. We don't know what the best choice is or, you know, we just our minds kind of go crazy with that. Um, who want to make the right choice, the absolute right choice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing a little bit of that right now with my own personal trip coming up. I'm like, ah, what to do? But, you know, and then, of course, all the things that just lead up that, like, anybody with any personality type can mm -hmm. deal with, like, packing and making sure we have everything, the air travel, like, all of those things and just stepping outside of our comfort zone can cause anxiety. 
a big part of what I do is I just, I recognize that like the, the anxiety is going to be there before a trip, no matter what. And I do the best I can. I, I also allow for some flexibility with my travel um, and don't plan every detail out because I like to have that, um, that freedom to change things if I'm feeling too overwhelmed or like feeling like things are too busy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, in terms of the preparation stage, I think it helps to, to know, you know, what, what it is that we're going into to the best like that we can. So we're selecting an environment that we thrive in in some way, right? Mm-hmm. And not necessarily spending all of our time running around cities for a week in, in noisy environments. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it helps to choose our travel partners wisely. Um, I love my friends and family. Not all of them are good travel partners for me. Um, and, you know, and to plan for that downtime ahead of time. And then if you realize, I mean, I'm oftentimes an underestimator in terms of like how much time things take when I'm traveling. So I think when we find ourselves in those places, we have to be willing to adjust and take a long time when we need it without apology. Uh-huh. I often feel like I either over-prepare. So I'm like researching <laughs> every little detail, checking the weather every day, look, Googling packing lists online that I need for this specific place at this specific time, making lists and checking them twice and then rechecking them. <laughs> or I do the total opposite where I just... I'm like, oh, whatever, everything will be fine. Let's just go and wing it and see what happens. And I feel like there's it's the the two, I need to find some sort of middle ground is mm. what I'm saying. <laughs> mm, um, yeah. So, I mean, what what do you recommend as far as what what kind of level of preparation to do before you're heading out on a big trip? I mean, honestly, I think it's such an individual thing. Some people really like to feel comfortable enough to do something need all like a lot of that planning done in some way. Um, they need to know, you know, where they're going, where they're staying, um, who's picking them up from the airport, all of those details. Um, I do think that there is a middle ground. Um, and I think that a big part of no matter what direction you're taking with your preparation and how it actually turns out, I think we have to realize that. So no matter what, has happened in my different adventures around the world, whether I've planned to a T or like not much at all. And, um, you know, I've had some kind of wild, crazy experiences. It's all part of it. You know, it's part of the, it's part of the adventure and things, I mean, for the most part, obviously we won't go into maybe some of the exceptions, but for the most part, things always go fine. You know, like we all, we're okay in the end. And I think that that's one of the the richest parts of traveling is that we get to see that like, even when things aren't perfect and we, we didn't plan every detail properly or things didn't go our way, we're still okay. And um, most of the time we still have a really amazing experience. That's great. How about when you come back, do you ever plan any downtime post trip just to kind of <laughs> refresh and recharge? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, I mean, particularly for um, after I've led a retreat, I always allow time after that. And even like my guests are always asking me, like, do you just hibernate for a month after this? Because they know I'm like miss uh, logistics and and, uh, catering to other people's needs and stuff during those retreats. Mm -hmm. But um, I typically will take 
time after I lead a retreat just to, you know, I'll take a few days or a week to do my own thing and just be alone, maybe be with my partner because he, it feels like being alone in a positive way, if that makes sense. Uh-huh. Um, so we'll, we'll take some travel afterwards. When I arrive home, um, one of the things I've tried to get better at in recent years is allowing more time before I have to just like return back to my routine. So even if it's like a day of a buffer, I think it's helpful just to readjust ground and, um, and not have to like hit the road running. Uh That's been a challenge because usually I want my travel experiences to be as long as possible. And I'm trying to like maximize what I can fit in, in a given amount of time when I'm doing that. But it's really been important to have that buffer so that I can show up in my, you know, my daily life in a way that's nurturing for me and others. I love that. It kind of reminds me of an astronaut. Like you do all these preparations that go to space, but part of the preparations are like preparing for re-entry. You have to reorient your body to to get back to daily life. And that sounds like a really good way to do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to ask about something that I mentioned a little bit earlier, which is pacing in the trip. So I was recently in Seattle. I went with my significant other and we also met two friends there and we were there for just a few days. We had a lot of fun, but what happened was very typical that happens on my trips, which is we run around, we do a whole bunch of things the first day. Like we went to that famous uh, Pike's Market, we walked around the city, we took the ferry, we did all kinds of things. It was really fun. But then the next day, we were all totally wiped out. All four of us are introverts. We were like super late getting started the next day. We were like driving through um, kind of through the countryside, just like nobody was talking in the car because we were just all so wiped out from hanging out the day before. And I, it just kind of dawned on me like, wow, we're a bunch of introverts and we're all just suffering from an introvert hangover right now. <laughs> We all want to be here still, and we have several days left. There's there's things we want to see. It was the first time I'd been in Seattle, and I was excited to be there. But I just kind of hit this point where I was like, oh, my gosh, I just I can't go on. And I'll be totally honest. I had kind of a mini introvert meltdown later that day where I was like, I just I just got to go for a little bit, guys. I just got to go be alone. I'm sorry. Just. And we all kind of, it was the funniest thing ever. We all just kind of dispersed, like all four of us just decided like, we're all just going to walk off on our own and do our own thing for a couple hours. And then we came back and we actually went on a tour, all four of us together later that evening. So this is just such a struggle that I have when we go on these trips. Just Mm. how do you keep the pacing appropriate so that you're not totally exhausted on the second or third day, but there's still things that you want to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, first, I want to mention, Jen, I think that you are really lucky that you're with other introverts. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> we're in those situations where other people don't get it, and they're still talking and blasting music and things like that. True, like, yeah. Ah. But I mean, it was kind of funny, because we were all like tired and grumpy, you know, so it's <laughs> a group of tired, grumpy introverts. And we were all doing this thing that, you know, I've done before, and that I've written about before, which is where like, we couldn't decide what to do. Like at one point I was Mm -hmm. like, we were like, should we go on the tour in the morning? Should we go in the evening? And we like (laughs) took an Uber out to the tour location. 
and like stood out there for a few minutes trying to decide what to do. We like stood in line for a few minutes before I kind of had this like mini meltdown. Like I just can't do this right now. (laughs) We came back later that night. So I mean, that was kind of embarrassing for me to have this like introvert meltdown in front of my friends. Um, So like, like, what do we do? How do we how do we deal with that? You were in the situation where you were with other introverts. And I want to speak to that, like, in just a moment of like the pacing of things. But just for the folks out there that end up taking trips with people that are more extroverted in some way. um, I think, you know, one thing you mentioned that, like, with a bunch of introverts, that you end up kind of having difficulty making decisions sometimes. Mm-hmm. I think that's where we have to recognize that sometimes maybe our extroverted travel buddies, if we have those, might have a strength in being able to like help with planning those things without yeah. getting too stressed. Um, but the other thing is too, what, like when we do need that downtime, I think we really need to be able to, to plan in advance and let people know what our needs are going to be in advance as much as possible. Um, so whether that's like with introverts or extroverts, we don't always know how we're going to feel, but the, you know, the more aware we become, the older that we, we get and more in tune with um, our energy levels, I think we, we know how to anticipate a little bit more. So for me, like I do with my, I mean, my own travel oftentimes looks a little bit different because I will just kind of go like fly by the seat of my pants and do something and then just completely change my plan and like I just need to relax and and that's okay but like with my retreat um so I've got a retreat coming up to Guatemala and um one up coming up to Peru as well for the Peru retreat as an example we're doing like one day that is a pretty full day in the sacred valley of Peru of different sites in that area that are all like the last couple of retreats, people have just like raved about that. They're like, don't take it out. It is a long day, but you should leave it in. And then we also have like a two-day adventure to Machu Picchu, which is Machu Picchu is one of the seven wonders of the world. So it is crowded, you know, and, and that part can be a little bit more um, exhausting, but it's worth it. But so to like to mitigate the, the possible anxiety or just drain from that, I have like you know, the first full day is a completely free day with options of like hiking nearby, like that people can do from the retreat center. The day after our Sacred Valley tour is a free day. And then the the last day after Machu Picchu is also like a completely free day. So people have that time to like sit, read a book, get a massage, do nothing. Um, mm, and it just sounds really nice. Then also being with other introverts and highly sensitive people, they're like people oftentimes... I think that it's, you know, when you have that support, the recharge time ends up sometimes being less than we sometimes think it needs to be. Um, it, it all depends. But so much of it, I think, also depends on like what we're doing for those travel experiences, like where we're going, what we're going to see. I mean, it sounds like with the time that you guys had, maybe, you know, there wasn't as much time to build in that downtime and still do the things that you want to do. But then it comes down to like, maybe sometimes we spend a little more time in this one thing going deeper or spending more time in an area rather than trying to like bounce around everywhere. It's funny. You would think that sometimes someone you have who to get something about, up. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. You would think that someone who writes about introverts who is also surrounded by her three introverted friends would, um, <laughs> would have thought about that a little bit more. 
So this would be a great time to talk more about your retreats. You have one coming up to Guatemala that is on January 10th through 19th, and you have five spots available still, I believe. You also have another one coming up to Peru, April 13th through 20th. Would you give us a bit more details about those retreats? Sure. So I know I talked a little bit about Peru already. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of expand on that a little bit more. It's a seven night, eight day retreat in the Sacred Valley of Peru. So it's about an hour, hour and a half outside of Cusco, um, which is kind of the, the, that's the city that people fly into. Um, and it's at a retreat center that's set back uh, with a view of the mountains. Um, there's a waterfall nearby that people can hike to. So there are things like it's it's not as easy to like jump off and go to different uh, sites on your own, although that can be organized. But there are things like hiking and little nooks and things like that to like be able to relax at the retreat center. And we're doing some other really rich uh, cultural activities with this guide that um, that I worked with for my last two retreats in Peru was just really, really amazing. And he's able to provide a lot of the, the deeper information just aside from um, the culture and the history, but like things like about the healthcare system or the education system in Peru and some of those things that uh, stimulate introverts in, in a positive way. Um, and then we're also visiting Machu Picchu as well, which um, was absolutely incredible. It's just as amazing as the postcards and um, everyone seemed to really enjoy that these last couple of times. So um, yoga is part of my retreats because I'm a yoga teacher. So I offer yoga in the mornings, but it's not necessarily the focus. My focus is usually more on connecting with nature and the local culture. Um, and it's kind of like with a side of yoga, if that makes sense. Yoga is that place where we can ground and um, tune into to where we're at and um, and create a little bit more of uh, that calming space. I'll always take a side so, of yoga. <laughs> a side of yoga, yeah. Um, and Guatemala is um, has also one of my favorite countries. I mentioned before that's where I studied Spanish. Um, I still feel like after all my travels, Guatemala has some of the most friendly people I've ever met in my life um, and is also just really rich with culture. So we're going to be spending the first night in um, in a hotel in Guatemala City near the airport because the next morning we're going to be flying to um, the jungle in a region called Petén in order to see the Mayan ruins of Tikal that just kind of like shoot up out of the jungle. It's pretty amazing. Tikal is like a more touristy area, so it's um, we'll we'll be doing that, but there's still like plenty of downtime in that day for people to relax so that it doesn't feel too overwhelming. And then the following day, we're going to an off the beaten path ruins. It still has really amazing ruins, but there aren't the people there. So people will have time to just kind of explore on their own without a guide for that one. Again, just honoring the, the time that we need to, to relax and recharge. And then for the last few days, we'll be flying back and then traveling to Lake Atitlan, which is um, known as one of the most beautiful lakes in the world. And 
there we're going to have significant downtime. So we've got a couple of cultural activities. I'm bringing a friend of mine who um, talks a lot about indigenous rights and uh, does a lot of work with political activism in Guatemala. And he's going to be coming and giving a talk so people can be a little bit more immersed and aware of just the Guatemalan history and things like um, just some of the effects of our foreign policy in Guatemala. Um, and we're staying at a retreat center that's uh, completely private there where we have, there's a swimming pool and it overlooks really amazing volcanoes. Both of those trips sound absolutely amazing. If people want to get on the Guatemala one, they should book soon because you only have a few spots left. They can do that at your website, melissanoelrenzi.com and click on retreats and workshops. We'll also be putting a link to that page in our show description. And if they use our special podcast code, introdeer50, they'll get $50 off. That's I-N-T-R-O-D-E-A-R-50. Melissa, is there anything about bringing introverts and HSPs together in a group that has surprised you? Mm, yes. <laughs> yes, definitely. One of the things I touched on before, which is just, I, I guess, to a recent retreat to Peru mentioned this, um, that just needing like less time to recharge when you're with other introverts and HSPs mm-hmm. that like they get your needs. So like after there's a day that you know, where the environment feels a little bit stimulating um, in some way. There's just, there's this comfort in like coming together and being like, oh, other people experience the same thing. And now we can all just like be quiet (laughs) together. I think that when we were just in Mexico, my partner, my partner, Jason, who led the first introvert retreat with me, and he assists me when he's able to get away from work right now. Um, But he mentioned, I was like, oh, how do people when we were like hanging out one day or just I was in my room um, and he said oh they're all introverting together nicely <laughs> <He's> <laughs> like, they're all spread out like with books and journals and just like sitting in different places like quietly and I was like awesome I love those words they're introverting together nicely oh, that's beautiful. Um, yeah so that's I think that's something that's really surprised me and then also just you know sometimes I mean, introverts, when they get excited about something, can talk a lot. But mm-hmm. um, one of the things that, that has been really nice to see, not that people have to talk, but just some of the guests that have said either like there was a guy who was, his wife mentioned that he like almost never speaks. And like the little bit that he talked during that retreat um, was the most that she sees him really speak when he's with other people. And I mean, again, there's never any pressure to talk, but just the comfort level that's there that's like mm. all of a sudden like, ah, people get me and now I can, I can share more of myself and feel safe to do that. Yeah, that's super cool. So we've talked about a lot of things today. Melissa, what do you think is the most important thing our listeners should take away from today's show? If you feel inclined to travel but are experiencing some anxiety, be thoughtful about how you do it beforehand. But still do it. If you have the desire to get out there, whether it is solo travel or whether it's um, with a group, some sort of retreat like mine or a different, you know, yoga retreat or whatever, you know, get out there and do it, but just do it on your terms so that you can enjoy your experience and not feel depleted. 
I know it sounds sort of basic, but I think we really have to be comfortable as introverts with being okay with doing things on our terms, you know, and like honoring what it is that we need. Um, and I think that, you know, one of the things that I've noticed just with, with these last introvert retreats is that so many of us do feel like um, outsiders in our daily lives or sometimes in different travel situations. And it becomes really refreshing when we're able to connect with other people, which you do even as a solo, solo traveler, you still connect with other people that are out there like you. Um, and I think that, that there's something really rich and, and meaningful in that. Is there one thing that you think our listeners should try in the next 14 days? Book a trip to what? Guatemala. Try booking a trip to Guatemala. I mean, I would say just related to anxiety, whether it's with travel or anything else, one of the things that I've been working with more recently in my own life is is becoming more curious about the anxiety when it's there. So just mm. noticing um, when it arises and being able to notice it in my body, being able to name it, visualize it. Sometimes I visualize like a, a little anxious version of myself, kind of like a little bobblehead, <laughs> like um, bitmoji things or something. Mm -hmm. I'll visualize this like little part, this little version of me that feels anxious. And instead of ignoring her or resisting her, um, you know, I'll ask her to just, if she could separate for just a little bit here so that I can get to know that part of me. Mm. And when we step back with a little bit more curiosity and learning kind of what it, that anxiety wants us to know, we can acknowledge it and reassure it. I mean, obviously there's a, this can be quite a process because sometimes other parts of us start to arise, but um, you know, when we can start to just be a little bit more curious and compassionate toward the challenging parts for ourselves, then we have that opportunity to also access that same curiosity and compassion when we're in a challenging moment, you know, during a trip or in a social situation, whatever it might be. That's really good. And Melissa, on a personal note, quickly, what's the best book you've read recently? It could be related to travel, anxiety, or anything else. I feel like my life at this moment is like reading about other travel things right now. So it's um, not necessarily a book I would recommend, but I'm planning my personal trip to Italy right now. So I feel like I've been kind of in that. Um, I mean, the one thing that I would say that, I, like I mentioned, I more recently read The Highly Sensitive Person. And I think that that's um, for anyone who's questioning if they are highly sensitive, that book was, it was, it reinforced a lot of what I had already learned by reading a lot of Elaine Aaron's other work. But I think one of the things that really resonated with me in that book was how to balance my, like being in and being out. She talks a lot about in that book. So for the introverts that are highly sensitive, I feel like that's, I mean, even if you are just introverted, I feel like that in and out and like how we show up in the world. It doesn't necessarily have to be in like a public speaking or, you know, online personality sort of format, but just finding where our gifts can show up. Um, recognizing our strengths was really valuable. For me. 
a great recommendation there. And thank you so much for being on the show today, Melissa. It was great hearing from you. Where can our listener learn more about you and what you do? So I think Jen had mentioned my website before. Um, That's a great starting point for learning about things like my retreats, also my style of yoga teaching and other anxiety tools. Um, It's melissanoelrenzi.com. Um, and I would also say that for anyone who's considering like joining a retreat for introverts and HSPs, you might also want to take a look at my Facebook and Instagram pages because I tend to share more like photographs and stories about the trip in those places and showcase a little bit of that there. So, and it's the same as my website, Melissa Noel Renzi. Don't forget that if you're interested in one of those trips, if you enter the coupon code intro dear 50 you can save 50 dollars on one of the trips well melissa it's been a pleasure thanks again thank you guys thanks for listening to the introvert dear podcast make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss out on future episodes if you enjoyed today's show please consider leaving a review on itunes and remember there's nothing wrong with being quiet and spending time alone